Good evening to our neighbors and listeners. Coming to you live from the 215 here in Germantown, you are listening to the award-winning Germantown Info Hub Radio Hour. I'm community reporter Rashida Jamu, a.k.a. Philly's Freedom John. And I'm the community organizer for the Germantown Info Hub, Maleka Fruin, and I live here in Germantown with my family. The Info Hub Radio Hour explores everything happening in Germantown and the city of Philadelphia and covers them in an hour or less. You can check out what's going on by visiting our website at germantowninfohub.org, Twitter and Instagram at gtowninfohub, or on Facebook at Germantown Info Hub. Hip-hop turns 50 years old this month. To celebrate, I got to speak with my old friend Flip, otherwise known as Mighty Flipside. Don't call him old, though. You can call him a Philly-born and raised rapper, DJ, father, teacher, and events curator. And he knows a ton about hip-hop music, culture, and Philly. Join us in conversation as we discuss all of that and even his idea of what to do with the Philadelphia Roundhouse. My name is Mighty Flipside. A lot of people commonly know me as Flip. I grew up in Philadelphia. Uh, funny thing I say, I say I was born and ruined here in Philadelphia. Uh, just a joke. Uh, but I love Philadelphia. I grew up as a young child. I was born in Germantown Hospital, which is no longer here. And uh, most of my young life was spent in Northwest Philadelphia, West Oak Lane, and uh, Mount Airy. Um, that was most of my young life, and I've lived in, lived in Philadelphia. I grew up in a time where I was immersed in uh, hip-hop music and its culture. One of my first memories uh, of hip-hop was reciting the lyrics to Ego Trippin' by uh, Ultramagnetic MCs. When the wax is in, the wax is on a belt, motivating clockwise, the more you realize more love, get ready like most of everybody, like a battery charge. I work to Avalon, it's the mystery is solved, we seek and define. I remember, I didn't even know who those guys were, I was just thought that rap was so, so dope. Uh, just basically, it really has become the kind of defining thing in my identity, it has a lot to do with upbringing, and the more that I do some more work on myself, I understand that it was a big part of uh, idolizing a uh, father in my life. Uh, but I got to know a little bit more about hip hop because people would ask me, more specifically a girl named Keisha, I was eight years old and this girl was 12. She would ask me to rap and I did accordingly. And I, she said, oh, do it again. And I would just do it again. I would rap again and again. The, the long short of it is I did not understand that I was supposed to write the rhymes down. I didn't, I didn't know that. She said, well, how do you remember all these? I was like, what do, you, what, do you, what do you mean? What are you talking about? She's like, yeah, how do you remember all your raps? I said, what do you, what do you talk, remember? What are you talking about? You, like, you're just making this up? I'm like, isn't that what people are doing? They're like, no. I'm like, oh, I didn't, <laughs> I didn't know that. I was legit just making up the rhymes and they were kind of spot on because I didn't know I wasn't supposed to do that. So as I got older as a teenager, my uh, improv freestyle off the top skills were like pretty sharp because I got been practicing since I was a child. Uh, long story short, I was 16 years old. I had a 
the deal on the table with Rough House Records between me and the Fugees that dismantled, got be part of a lot of groups in Philadelphia, Outer Space, Jedi Mind Tricks. I was a part of Schools of Thought and been making independent shows and because of that I've turned myself into a teacher, instructor, and rap music and its culture has been the defining thing in my life. I manifest as a, a black man in uh, the world, in the United States. I do understand that navigating through that, I approached my existence understanding that hip-hop has guarded me and taught me a lot of things, how to handle myself, how to love myself, and I think without that, I wouldn't, I, would, I really would not have been I mean, I think I kind of have a handle on my my mind right now, <laughs> barely, but hip-hop and its music has really focused on that. So what I've done is turn that energy of how hip-hop has helped me to help other people. Still creating songs, they're not as frequent as my soul would like them to be, but I'm writing one way or another, writing rhymes last night. That's what I do in the world. I am a proud father of my son, Rob. To be completely transparent, uh, the person I'm interviewing, Maleka K. Fruin, I've known for quite some time. But how long have I known you? Since 1960? You're not interviewing 16. me. No, I'm interviewing I, you. Is that what I said? Yes. That was a Freudian flip. Sorry. <laughs> She's interviewing me. I've known you since 1960. 1960, 1962. 62. No, I've known her since college. And, since we were both 18. Uh, now we're old. Speak for yourself. So, what I'm, all, all that to say, is you know me for a long time, but let's talk a little bit before about how hip hop live kind of occurred. So about the time I was 14 years old, always been a hip hop fanatic. About 14 years old, my sister was dating Quest Love from the Roots. All right, so he used to come over our house, and I remember he. Uh, this is such an age gauge. So he used to, you know, in Philly we call bust. He was busting on me like. In other world, they call it wanking or doing the dozens, but in Philly, we call it busting. He was busting on me and then t talking about how I look like Lester from the show True Colors. But he's like, yo, you look like Lester from True Colors. He was trying to flame me. And, uh, but uh, whatever. So we were coming around and he was, you know, let me listen to his tape or a CD. Next CD. And I had never heard, I had never heard anything like that. I had never heard anything like that. I didn't, I wasn't learned in jazz, I didn't know, I mean, I, knew, I was a rap fan, I knew about Tribe, I knew about Gangstar, early Gangstar or jazz, but I, I never heard anything like that. It was rich, it was full, and I remember, specifically, I would um, not listen to it in headphones, I don't think I've told a lot of people this, I would take two speakers and put them on the floor and like lay back and on the floor, I had the speakers around my head because I wanted to be like so immersed in that sound because I had never heard anything like that. The rap pattern was interesting, but the sonics, the music was so wild. And I remember he had this flyer. And on the flyer, whatever, the bands, this is some blah, 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 blah. What I thought was so cool, instead of saying the price, it said the damage. The damage is $5. And I remember thinking, I remember thinking that was so cool. I really saved that flyer, and we were on the first Roots video for Pass the Popcorn, right there on Fourth and South. And I was kind of immersed in there, like meeting the foreign objects, and that was amazing. So you know, time was all. I started getting a little older and cutting my teeth, and 
those shows are gone now because I'm now of age. And I'm like, dude, someone needs to do that. Someone needs to do the shows that I saw when I was a kid. No one was doing that? No. No. So there was a, there's a little back and forth with my homeboy, uh, Eve Ibrahim, who does the um, gathering. And we had In a little, West Philly. Yeah, yeah. We had a little back and forth about, friendly, friendly, friendly back and forth about who had the longer show. Who was longer, The Gathering or Hip Hop Lives? Hip Hop Lives was a, uh, one of the longest running live music hip hop shows. Eve has the longest running hip hop show uh, in Philly. So I differentiated. Now we used to go back and forth. Now, I mean, Hip Hop Lives is defunct. But bringing back to the story, I was doing that. The first one was in West Philly, 40th and Baltimore, something like that. And I mean, it was a star-studded event. It was really wild. Do you remember what yes, year it was that was? 1998. Jedi Mind Tricks was there. Lewis Logic was there. The Mountain Brothers were there. I knew all these folks because we would like drink 40s and get Chinese food. How did I meet? I met Vinny and them through my boys in the Northeast, the, the Dead Pigeons. In those days, um, you would go to different neighborhoods and you would meet the rapper from the neighborhood. It was like being a superhero. It really was, man. You go to, I mean, I would, I'm, I'm from Uptown. I'm from Mount Airy. No, there was no rappers from Mount Airy. None, none. So I would come to West Philly by, by myself to meet the rapper there or South Philly and like the hood and to meet the rapper because that's what you did. That's what you did, you know? So we would all like meet up with each other and all those guys were at the party. So that was what it was. And then. First Hip Hop Lives, well first of all, uh, Hip Hop Lives, the name itself was implying that hip hop was dead. And I was making that statement in 1998, way before Nas, by the way. And we called that show Hip Hop Lives, it was a celebration of hip hop music and its culture. And it was this, hey, I really uh, love hip hop. And basically, the hip hop that I knew that I was too young to be a part of, it's still here. You know, just seeing like the foreign objects and the divine beings, they were like a black thought and like everyone was like right there. It was just, a, it was essentially a party. And then from there, we started doing shows of Latatsa 108. So Latatsa 108 was, they said they wanted my show to be first Friday, right there at second and Chestnut. And it was right there in the old city, first Friday mix. And I had no idea what first Friday was. Little did I know the first Friday crowd added on and we really rocked that place. Uh, I said, they get, you know, we had Jedi Mind Tricks there. Jedi Mind Tricks at La Taza 108, which is pretty wild. They ripped the speakers down. We had, uh, not that they ripped the light fixtures down from the ceiling. It was wild. I had this really awesome live bands too, which was the magic of our show. We would have hip hop artists and live bands together. And I, you know, that's like an important part of the ingredient. There was one band called the BBHK. The Bad Boys from Hong Kong. It was the best band I've ever seen. And it was like at my show. It was pretty wild. And we were kicking it. We were really doing a, like we were, you know, people were bleeding out the door. I learned a lot from that. And it was there that Rick D from Tritone discovered us. And he wanted us to do the Tritone. And Rick D was like, why does it have to be first Friday? I'm like, dude, trust me. It's a built-in flyer. Like, trust me. First Friday, and then he saw. It was like, wow! It was packed. It was to the point where hip hop lives was the thing keeping the Tritones lights off. It was, it was a thing. We were doing touring bands, C Knowledge, Dice Raw, 
Grand Agent, those are people who came through. Questlove came through. I don't remember if I, it was one of those things, I, I was like, did I really see that? Like, it was, it was those that was so old and so long ago that you could still smoke inside. And a lot of people, that turned a lot of people off. But if you got, you just got past the, your eyes burning, <laughs> you had to like suffer through your eyes burning. And when you got used to it, it that was kind of wild. So that was some of the notable names. But I could rock a show with a band. And it was that kind of energy I would bring to a rap show. And I got to give a shout out to DJ Skip Mode, who's been essentially my life partner this whole journey, this whole time that I've been rocking. Like, Everything I've done, he's been a part of, you know what I'm saying? Uh, but we would be the live show energy with just me and Skip, just me and a DJ. Five Spot was um, an interesting time too because we were right at the same time as Black Lily. So we were Black Lily and then we were First Friday, First Friday, how ballsy is that? First Friday at the Five Spot. And our first show that we did was our album release and I never forget this, and it's a little ironic now I think about it. They had to start turning people away from the door because it was past fire code. I, that was like, wow, we got, there's too many people in here? That, that's interesting. And it was all, from what I understand, listening to Questlove's podcast, it was all by design that he thought that the roots themselves were kind of like on an island. And he wanted to have all these other groups to make them seemed like they were on such an island. So Les Nubiens was one of the groups. Uh, Aries was one of the groups. Music Soul Child. Bilal was in there. Kindred. Kindred was in there. The whole scene. It was so, so and I then, love, of course, Jill Scott. Jill Scott. That's what I was, I was about to say. Yeah, Jill Scott. Uh, Erica Badu was in there. That's the time that Common was living in Philly, too. People remember that. Common was, like, in Philly, for sure. I see him out. So it kind of catered to the feminine energy, black feminine energy, which was like so dope, like super dope. Nice opportunity for not people to just be all sweaty and, and rhyming and all that. Black Lily was a huge deal. So the two marquee things at the five spot was Hip Hop Lives and Black Lily. Partnering with every, because it was First Friday, I had the idea to partner up with visual artists. So we were artists from Mesquite were there, Saga. My boy Saga, shout out to Saga Moore. He was doing the Mesquite paintings in there, all different kind of artists every month. So you would come to Philly to see Hip Hop Lives and see this visual experience. It was wild and then it was a huge fire. Uh, Hip Hop Lives was the last, literally the last show to play at the five, the five spot. So we lost a little momentum there, and I'm, I'm, I'm going ahead a, uh, a little bit because that got us in the newspaper, that got us in the mix, that got us considered, you know, that kept us in the news, that kept us on the city paper, that kept us in the zeitgeist, you know. So we lost a little bit of momentum there. Uh, I was heading up to, we were like setting up Hip Hop Lives DC. It was supposed to be Hip Hop Lives Philly, Hip Hop Lives DC. It was like a whole thing that we had like, you know, domination, you know, we had the whole thing. It was a long legacy of giving birth to things literally. A lot of people, a lot of my friends have gotten married. They've met at Hip Hop Lives. Several were responsible for eight children. It was a, it became a place where you could meet people too. I always wanted 
wanted that from the beginning was to have my tool helping people grow. So it's the very most extended conversation by public. There were also a lot of other things in Philly. Some of what I learned about, about hip hop in South Jersey was through the video show, Urban Expressions. Yes. So I want you to talk about Urban Expressions. Chapter 48. Give us a little bit of an overview of what you would know was going on in hip hop in Philly besides all that. What's important to understand a little bit historically about Philadelphia in general, because I would write to, to really document the importance of Philadelphia in the history of uh, hip hop. Like, I'm not saying, oh, because we're like a cool town and Philly's awesome. I'm like, no, literally, the growth of, this, of the genre and the culture has a lot to do with Philadelphia. Like, a lot. We're some of the turnkey, we're some of the some of the most important things in the culture happened because of Philadelphia. So we've always been kind of, um, you know, the sister city to New York City. Um, we've always been the other, the market outside of the, from what KRS One says, things would blow up in Manhattan, then it would go to Brooklyn, then sometimes Yonkers, then Philly, then blow up more in the Bronx. It would, it would do that a lot. Things would blow up in Philly and then come back to New York, parts of New York. He's like, that happened a few times. I'm, I'm like messing up the trajectory, but the idea is not all of the boroughs and you know, surrounding boroughs would, would light up all at the same time. Some would catch fire and then would leave town, blow up in Philly and come back. That's happened a lot with Karis One, that's happened with Public Enemy, that's happened with a lot of things. So Philadelphia has always been this kind of satellite right down 95. It's like, you know, burgeoning city. So we always were, because of Lady B, Lady B was a historic uh, DJ in the history of hip hop. Because of Lady B, we were always kind of in tune. So couldn't quite catch the radio waves of New York City, but one of the major shows in New York was Molly Mall, Mr. Magic. They had a huge show in New York. They actually did that show in Philly for a while. That show, Mr. Magic and Molly Mall, I don't know if Magic was alive, but Molly Mall was doing a show in Philly on WDAS. So it's a very recognized city. So it was important to get the information out to us. How do you do that? If you know mainstream radio isn't doing that, there was a time where there was like an, it was an anti-rap movement in the late '80s, mid to late '80s. Um, I don't know if the '90s, but it was an anti-rap movement. So burgeoning college radio stations would show up. WPRB in Princeton, that was kind of close enough to New York, but still Philly. So we got like a little bit of those vibes. WPRB, the Raw Deal. You got um, WKDU was always a champion. I listened to a lot of KDU in my house because we just listened to a lot of uh, uh, Jamaican radio, uh, dancehall radio, reggae radio. You would get the uh, Urban Expressions. That was kind of like an independent channel as well. It was raw. Uh, Philadelphia, I mean, we had WKDU. You know what I'm saying? We had America Hot Video. We had The Box, too. Remember the box? No. The box was the first. Oh my god! It was so. It's, it's going to be so hard to explain this to like a child because they would not understand this. 
the box was a show, but you would call and put the number in if you wanted to see the video. So like people were requesting videos. On this post- was in Philly? This was, this was all over actually. What I did not know was it was, it was kind of colloquial too. So whatever I was seeing my box in Mount Airy, I was a different box in West Philly. The box was a big deal. So you would, people would dial in and put the number in or whatever, you call the number, it was a 1-800 number, 976, all that kind of, you know, $25 a minute kind of thing. You call in and you would see the video. And before, I mean, they just started playing black music in 1984 in uh, MTV. So they really wasn't playing black videos. Rap videos, definitely not. So that was where you saw it. The box, the raw deal, the avenue was What is the show. raw deal? The raw deal was the show that was on WPRB in Princeton. Urban Expressions was a local uh, channel, Channel 48, that was on UHF. But Channel 48 was like a fuzzy little weird uh, independent show. Because I remember having like black shows on there because my, my, you know, my, fam- my stepfather, my family was like super Afrocentric, pro-black. And we would watch the little African vibe shows and then the reggae shows and then they'd have these rap shows on Urban Expressions. Uh, Keep them up the block. They would have these independent commercials. I was on a commercial one time with Keep them. I just saw Keep them up the block literally like last week. Keep them up the block is a comedian personality. He was one of the hosts from one of the rap shows from Urban Expressions. Supreme the Resurrector was one of them. It was a local show that they showed, you know, underground hip hop and hip hop that wasn't so popular. When I was a kid, we asked, we had to claim EST. He was from Hunted Park. And that was the closest that we got. I mean, later it was like Malik B. He was from West Up Lane. But we didn't have no rappers from Uptown. Well, you know, it was it was wild. I mean, like now, oh my God, we got a lot of rappers from Uptown now. You know. Um, Depends on what you call uptown, but like some people, parts of parts of North Philly, when you get kind of like near uh, Germantown and broad, broad Germantown right there where, where the intersection, some people still consider that uptown, that's North Philly uptown, whatever. Erie Ave, like that's where like Gilly and all them is from. Gilly and Major Figures, that's all, that's all Erie Ave. That's North Philly to me, but like uptown was Cassidy's from uptown. P&B Rock is from Uptown. Like I said, Malik B is from Uptown. Kerr, the new guy, Core, is from Uptown. There's a lot of Uptown rappers today, but not when I was when I was coming up. We didn't have nobody. Cheek Raw, that's a kind of old school too. That's like from the DVD era, but we had none, none, no. It felt like that was an impossible. I'm old enough to like be transparent about it. I used to rap West Philly because I was like nobody was from Uptown. I lived in West Philly at the time. I probably thought you were from West Philly at one point. I mean, I was, you know, we all come. We, I did like a little stint in West Philly. So I was just talking a little, I was like, in my head right now is the song Cypress Hill. Just Cypress Hill in general. That concept of Cypress Hill, those two voices together, was kind of uh, brought to us by the idea of Public Enemy. Public Enemy having like Flavor Flav and Chuck D them talking and going back and forth. Chuck D openly admits that he stole that idea from Schooly D. 
when Schooly D comes in and, and talks about Saturday night and cold money, is like, yo, money, yo, 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 what's up, blah, blah, blah. And then Schooly D starts rapping. He's like, that concept of the other guy leading him in is what Flavor Flav is to me. So there would not be a public enemy concept without Schooly D. There's also um, one of the founding fathers of the, of the moniker that we call Gangster Rap, Ice-T, was doing a lot of party rap. And if you look into the movie Breaking, you can see him with the, with the shoulder pads and the feathers and the space goggles. And he was doing a lot of party rap. And he was like, his one breakout hit was Six in the Morning Police at My Dump. He's like started doing these like street tales Six in the morning, Peely sat my dove. Like when he changed his style from party rap to six in the morning was his breakout song. He's doing a Schooly D impression. He heard Saturday night and I was feeling kind of sporty. Same cadence. He's like, I am doing a Schooly D impression. There would not be a school, there would not be an iced tea without a Schooly D. So think about that. There is also, you know, there is uh the concept of DJing too, which is really super important because we all kind of understood that the, the bright and shiny rappers were coming from New York or Brooklyn or sometimes a Long Island. All like these rappers are coming from the New York, New York City area. But the best DJs were from Philly and that is the historical fact. You can even run down to the, the historic group show, uh, Freshco and Miz. I don't know if you know who they are. Freshco and Miz had a huge song called We Don't Play, and they had this contest, and the contest was the best rapper, the best rapper battle, and the best DJ. Freshco was the best rapper from Brooklyn, and DJ Miz from Philly was the number one champion, and the long line of Philadelphia champions. DJ Miz, Jazzy Jeff, Cash money, all Philadelphia guys, all, I mean, it, was, it got to the point where Philadelphia was, was like the standard of DJ. Like when they, I didn't know this, the way that people, I, I don't even know what they call it, but what I've known as the, the standard way of how setting turntables up, some DJs call that Philadelphia style. I'm like, oh wow, I didn't, I didn't understand that. Like, uh, some people, I don't know if it's the two turntables together or turning the turntables to the side, they refer to that as the Philadelphia style. Because that is what I mean that Philadelphia was the cog in the wheel. Another thing, too, there was a rapper, he had a song called Discombobulator Boobulator. It was a huge record by MC Breeze. MC Breeze had a song called Discombobulator Boobulator. It was, it ended up being, he was like making fun of Asian people and and then, like, in the 80s, that was like, I don't, you know, we, we look back in the history, like, people, that was, like, acceptable on how we talked about gay people. It was like, it's a, we, we cringe at it now. But in the 80s, that's how people talked, you know what I'm saying? But they ended up banning Discombobulator Boobulator's record, MC Breeze's record, because of how he was talking about Asian people. Because Lorraine Balamoro, although she sounds like a black person on the radio, she's an Asian person. And she shut that record down. The point that I'm making is, MC Breeze did not have a record company. He made his own independent records. So the concept of independent records comes from Philly. Independent hip hop records were like big in Philly. Schooly D, 
And when they couldn't get any juice in New York, they would come to Philadelphia and get these this uh, this this uh, label called Pop Art. Pop Art was a huge rap label. Roxanne Shante was on their record label. Biz Marquis was on their record label. Pop Art was like it was like up like it was like an upstart to uh, Def Jam. It was really it was really doing the thing. Like artists were flying down here to do records. Pop art records, and so that's what I mean. Like, there's things in the culture that would not have been if it wasn't for Philadelphia. There's another one. I just heard this the other day. A new documentary that I'm going to be making about the club after midnight. After midnight was this esteemed club. If you go through the chronology of hip hop music and its culture, there was this this mysterious club that they called that Latin Quarter. People talk about it's like this folklore. The Latin quarters where live rappers were made and broken, and that's where they people were, were. That's how people, the Olympus of the hip hop lore, it shut down. When it shut down, MC Surf says it on this interview. People would come to Philly to the after midnight. That was the that was his, like a heir apparent. So it literally has a lot to do with the history of the culture. Not like, oh, I'm this, you know, Philly's great, I'm a, I'm a homer, sure. But yeah, the chronology. Another thing, there is Lady B, sister, female, was one of, not only one of the, the premier rap shows, maybe two at the time, New York and Philly. She was the one who broke a lot of people. She was one of the people who like, gave Karis One Boogie Down Productions a lot of energy. Um, the first when I first started in, coming in here, is that, that rap I, rem, I was saying, because Lady B was playing Ultra Magnetic MCs earlier on. Like she is, like a big part of the culture, and that's why I want to have the Philadelphia Hip Hop Museum, where the former Roundhouse is. Sorry, in the shape I of the record. Love that. Sorry, in the shape of the record. The official fifty-year anniversary mm -hmm. of hip-hop coming up this August. Yes. What's coming up for you as you think about this 50 years of hip-hop? What I think about is, uh, I think about my grandmother, Sis, who I love. Uh, we call her Sis, Marjorie. Well, I call her, everyone calls her Sis. I call my grandmother Sis. And we were watching TV one time, and she goes, you know what? After all these years, people still love singing and dancing. I remember she saying that. And I was thinking about, wow. That's pretty profound. It made me think about after all these years, people still like rapping over a beat. After all these years. What it is kind of changes, but that concept is still kind of constant. And it makes me think about what has changed is the mode of the people. Because I always feel like if you want to take a temperature of the consciousness of not just black people, but the movement of the, the, the movement of the energy of Philadelphia, Take a, take a look at what rap is doing at the current time. If you look in the 80s, if you look at Reaganomics, what rap was doing then. If you look at the crack era, what rap was doing then. If you look at the, the drill era, like what, what, how it reflects our society now, it really, it really does point to where our minds are. I love, there's a line that um, Grand Poobah says is quite profound. He says, um, in the 70s it was the smack. They talk about what was killing black people. In the 70s was the smack. In the 80s, it was the crack. In the 90s, it was the gap. And 
I was like, wow. I mean, it just kind of, that kind of progression kind of keeps going on. So in the 50 years hip hop, I always think about how we're still, still here. And I am confident that we will have some new young leaders to help change Right, how do Germantown? I am currently conversing with Kristen and Brittany, who are the brains and creative minds behind the Affirmation Avenue artworks that first launched in late October last year. Affirmation Avenue is an initiative that creates safe spaces for reflection and builds community through uplifting street signs in predominantly Black and African American neighborhoods in Philadelphia. It promotes social emotional learning and literacy for young minds and shows the power of working together for a common goal. This year, the two co-founders are bringing the planning and information gathering to bring this project to Germantown. Um, so without further ado, let's welcome Kristen and Brittany. How are y'all doing? Doing great. Thank great. you. Thank Hello. you. How are you? So first, I just want to start off with y'all just telling us, you know, our audience a little bit about yourselves. Okay, cool. All right. So, hey, my name is Kristen. Um, I'm a co-founder of Affirmation Avenue. Um, I'm also a photographer and I've been teaching for 11 years in Philly, teaching a wide range of ages from the age three all the way up to now 16. So, yeah. I'm also a co-founder. My name is Brittany Jennings. I've been with the Philadelphia School District. This year will be my eighth year um, teaching high school. So I teach African-American history and contemporary issues. Um, I also do some civil discourse work with the National Converse, uh, Constitution Center. So we do a lot of work with equipping teachers with the tools to create space to have conversations about very hot button slash controversial topics in the classroom. Okay, so tell me about Affirmation Avenue and what initially sparked this idea to start an art project like this? Because again, it's very unique, very, we've never seen anything like this, of course in Philadelphia, but Philadelphia is a city of signs, so it kind of makes sense. <laughs> yeah, so um, we basically started this in 2020 um, after the murder of George Floyd. Um, we started this small initiative to create spaces of joy for our students. Um, our school communities were struggling with unpacking their feelings and emotions regarding um, police brutality um, against Black bodies, um, and we wanted to reaffirm to our students that they mattered. So we chose to take the grief, the rage, the frustration of our communities and pour into Black joy, curating thoughtful proclamations to encourage and empower our learners. And so we created, we started with a positive affirmation series, Daily Affirmations, which were uh, two volumes of books of um, gratitudes and affirmations to promote self-love, Black culture and voice. And then we wanted, we decided to move beyond the classroom and into Affirmation Avenue. So the long short of it is Kristen and I were trying to figure out like how could we kind of mirror the spaces that we were creating in our classrooms outside of that. Um, and we were running through a list of ideas and it dawned on us like street signs are literally everywhere and you notice them sometimes and sometimes you don't. And it would be really cool if you saw these positive proclamations specifically to black people just in the street and intentionally in black spaces. Um, so we, we pitched ourselves different ideas um, and came up with Affirmation Avenue and thought it would be really cool um, as a creative placemaking tool to 
you know, bring joy and awareness to a lot of the historically enriched places in Philadelphia that unfortunately are succumbing to gentrification, um, people being forced out, but just to give Black people a sensibility of like, this is our space. Um, even if there are people trying to intrude in our space, it is still our space. Amazing. I love that. And how was it taking an idea that started in such like a small secluded space and bringing it, of course, to the public? What was that like? So when we, after Chris and I pitched ourselves what we wanted this to look like, we were thinking about, okay, in the city of Philadelphia, there's so many arts initiatives happening, the largest one being Mule of Arts, of course. We were trying to figure out where could we best hold this idea because we're just two, you know, teachers. We didn't really have um, the connections or the capital to bring this to fruition. Um, and we just took a chance and uh, emailed Mule of Arts. We kind of just we 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 centered ourselves more as an education um, organization. That's we're teachers. We're always education first, um, and we thought you know, why not see what they have available um, in terms of supports to kind of work through what this could look like. Um, so we pitched the idea, just an idea. There was nothing physical we could show them, just our concept and what we believed in. And they loved it. Um, and that's kind of how it started. Uh, we ended up working with Conrad Brenner from the streets department. Um, and then we were able to select two artists during our pilot project um, I, I believe we used the Rec Philly directory to we search. We started there, mm -hmm. and then we just went through Instagram next mm -hmm. um, to find the artists who are, like, you know, based on, obviously, like, their portfolios now, which is so great about, like, social media, the positive of it anyway, is that you can, like, basically, it's like a portfolio, and <laughs> people <laughs> put their portfolios on there. So we found, um, I forget which one, which artist we found first, but we, like, freaked out, fell in love with them, and then I think we... We, did we message them on Instagram? There was some line of communication. Yeah. yeah. But essentially we found the artists through mm -hmm. social media, Marion Bailey and Lindsay Bedford, um, we, which we didn't realize at the time were like big deals. Yeah, so we that did. Was, <laughs> that was kind of cool to like have an idea. People want to invest and fund the idea and then be able to work with people that are doing really cool things in the city. Mm -hmm. um, we wanted to make sure that our mission also didn't get lost. So Meal of Arts... Uh, granted us artistic autonomy and kind of like who we chose. We wanted to make sure that the artists were black. We wanted to make sure that they were local to Philadelphia or had um, some connection to this area specifically that we were working with. Um, and then we kind of just learned as we went, honestly, it was yeah. a lot of like conversation, a lot of question, a lot of Googling, a lot of research. We've never created an artist specs document before. Oh yeah. That was that. a lot of fun. <laughs> Like making sure, you know, what are the dimensions that the sign has to be? That was, that was interesting. And like the RGB versus CMYK for, you know, print versus digital, what's going to look better that, yeah, it was, it was definitely a learning journey, is that learning journey, a journey of learning. Yeah. <laughs> both yeah. ways. <laughs> um, so when you did this in West Philly, the project's inaugural home, of course, how did residents respond to it? So we, we started off with doing like, uh, we, like our signs are by the community for the community. Um, um, and so we did a lot of surveys, a lot of field work, I guess, um, talking to a lot of people, kind of hearing what do you have to say about your community? How do you feel about it? And 
um, we got a really great amount of feedback. And like, I know Brittany mentioned, we always take that and we collate the data and we talk to, and we, we talk, uh, kind of have a big group meeting and the artists kind of draw inspiration from that. But the, um, community response was very positive. Um, so much so that there was one of the signs in particular that an artist made that we had put on, uh, I think it was at Laura Sims skate house. Mm -hmm. And um, we were walking down 52nd street, putting up other signs and a community member was like, Hey, we need that sign at Malcolm X park. Cause we, you know, we had three locations and the artists were going to create for those separate locations. And when we saw the person again, I think a second time, she's mm -hmm. like, I want that sign in the park. We we're like, okay, we got you. We got you. We got you. <laughs> so because she loved it, it said, keep the peace at home and in the streets. And she was like, we need this at Malcolm Malcolm X Park. And so we put it up and we even saw when we went back around, like we always check on our art and we saw that, I guess the sign had fallen and someone actually like was holding it up with like some ribbon. And so, you know, we took it down and we're going to put it back up, but I really like the community response shows that like the community really cares. We looked, we've been taking a look at the signs mm -hmm. um, and they still are in great condition. We saw where I think someone put a sticker in and someone scraped the sticker off. So it's been pretty cool. Um, mm -hmm. A lot of people will come on to um, Affirmation Ave, like our Instagram, and even like say like, hey, I saw your sign or, you know, they'll take a picture of it. And yeah, there's been a, it's been a pretty positive um, so far. Yeah. I think it's cool that um, there's a lot of ownership because, mm -hmm. you know, sometimes, a lot of times you have projects that will come into communities um and there's a disconnect because they don't interact with community in the way that they should and yes we better ourselves we also did a lot of like legwork we chris and i were trotting up and down 52nd street talking to the local businesses telling them about the project passing out flyers no one came to the first event i'm being real transparent mm -hmm. and we had to kind of figure out like how how do we a, a fix or better communicate what we're trying to do in a way um, that's more inclusive to the area. So we're not like the outsider trying to tell you what we're doing and how we're doing it and why we're doing it. Um, and once we adjusted ourselves, I think that's what cultivated that ownership in the area because we saw people like if, if someone wanted to tag on the sign, we people wiped it off. Um, we were actually surprised at how well the signs were in such great condition because of that, you know, that ownership. And like she said, just to see like random strangers will send us a DM like, hey, I saw your signs or some of our students that are in West Philly, like, oh, yeah, I went up and I saw your signs or if we're walking down the street and some people may have forgotten what we look like. They'll mention, oh, yeah, you guys see. Have y'all seen those signs mm -hmm. over there? And it's like, oh, yeah. Yeah, it's pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's, it's, it's really cool to see, but it also brings it back to like the legwork that has to go in, in order for a community to take ownership of a project that has entrance, if that makes sense. Like we, yes, we have connections to West Philly, Kristen works in West Philly, we're both Philadelphia school district teachers, but people haven't seen us all the time around in the area, you know? Right. So we had to build that familiarity in order for um the folks to feel like these are theirs these are ours yeah I'm from West Philly and we, we still had to put in a lot of work mm -hmm. <laughs> oh yeah yeah and I mean it. West Philly is expansive so Philadelphia is a is a city of neighborhoods and even within those neighborhoods different parts of the neighborhood can look different right so you have Germantown but then there's East and West Germantown and those look vastly mm -hmm. different right 
Um, so I definitely get that. But what you're saying 100% is a testimony to how a lot of times people come into, and I'm thinking of developers, but this can expand to anything, just like you're talking about the art project, come into a neighborhood or come into any kind of like, you know, area and kind of like tell people what they need rather than like actually getting that input. So the approach that I'm hearing is very much like this is like we're a vessel but this is y'all's. This is not necessarily ours. This is y'all's. And we want y'all to be in control of it. Um, and I think that that is a lesson that everybody can take something from because a lot of people do not have the know-how or even have the inkling when things don't go right to be like, you know what? We didn't have anybody at this event. So maybe we're doing something not necessarily wrong, but there needs to be some tweaking. So mm -hmm. kudos to y'all for that 100%. And I, I appreciate hearing that because you don't hear it often. You really don't. Um, and so I know that y'all have been in Germantown um, already and have been like kind of getting some fillers out, tabling at different events and things like that. So I want to know what are some of the similarities or differences that you actually see already between West Philly and Germantown? Um, it can be, yeah, like, similarities or differences. Yeah, that's what I said already. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hmm. I can. Okay. So yeah, I'm gonna let you start with that one. Differences. Okay. I'll start with differences. And this could be because of my positionality as a person who does a lot of work in Philly, but I'm not from Philly. Um, Germantown, there was a different level of welcoming and embracing. Um, and I remember we, we speaking with Steve from Ubuntu one of the things that I didn't know was that Germantown kind of gets treated like the stepchild of Philadelphia. Um, we do. We absolutely do. <laughs> and I and I think as a result of that, the welcome is different um, mm. in the sense that people are more excited and more willing to assist and, and, and help. Um, West Philly, we love West Philly, but I think West Philly is also overwhelmed with a lot of the art that's in the area. So as projects continue in the area, it's almost the sense of like, oh yeah, that's great. But it's also, oh yeah, here's another, you know? Um, and yes, you know, West Philly was very helpful. We got to work with some great people at the Enterprise Center and the community members were great, but there was a different level of interest if that makes sense, there were it was it almost seems like Germantown has a as a as a eager investment, and West Philly, um, was happy that this was happening, but the investment, it didn't feel like people felt like they had, had needed to have a stakehold. But I think it just has to do with the fact that there's a lot going on in West Philly, um, and there's a lot of art happening in West Philly, like everywhere you, everywhere you turn in Philadelphia, you know, in the West Philly area, you always see like a new project, a new, there's something new. And I think because Germantown gets left out of that conversation, there is this, um, eagerness to welcome and be a part of and support because they need it or want it. I won't say need, but I'll say want, there's a want there. That's what I've observed at least. I was going to talk about the demographics and the pen takeover of the specific area of West Philly that we were working in as well as being maybe an indication that the community that is there, it maybe it's, I mean, I know there's a gentrification. It's a citywide of a citywide issue. Um, but like Penn just, you know, slowly, not even slowly at this point anymore, just creeping their way up. Um, Cause even, you know, I grew up at 59th and Chestnut and there's already, there's just, I mean, if they're there, if uh, Penn isn't, 
putting their students in our schools, you know, they're doing something else or they're buying up real estate. So I don't know if, if that could have something to do with it, that the, maybe the community is starting to, I don't want to say disappear, but I mean, even growing up in the area I grew up in, it was already an older population. So I don't know. There just was, yeah, Germantown, it seems a lot different in that respect too. But yeah, basically what you said, Brittany, that works too. <laughs> so I want to um just kind of go ahead and like, X, where you are right now in your process, right? And what will the rest of the process look like? You don't necessarily have to give me timeline, I guess, because I know some of those details can be, but like, how will it go? How, yeah, starting from, you know, the 11th when mm -hmm. this event happens to, you know, when it, when it's complete. Yeah. We are in our community engagement phase of the timeline. So Kristen was just at the uh, Black Souls Black Soul Vintage's block party. Um, we have another event coming up. It's a community engagement event with the youth at the Covenant House. Um, and that's this Wednesday. And then on the 11th, we're holding a community information session to talk more about the project, to show people, you know, what we've been working on, why we're working on it, um, why, you know, this is we want it to be theirs and not ours. Um, so we're definitely in the uh community engagement phase which is interesting because it always looks different like our our um covenant house session is going to be more of a workshop you know they're younger folks and we're teachers so we kind of want to have that circle conversation feel just to get an idea of how Germantown has been servicing um those folks because it is a different interaction um in terms of the communities that they uh, are a part of um the information session is also going to be very different. Um, we we we're teachers. We love to do this thing where we bring people together just to have a conversation and not talk at them. Um, and once that happens, you know, once we get the the data that we need, we kind of take that all of the responses, all of the questions, um, and then Kristen and I brainstorm with ourselves and our interns to figure out, okay, well, what are the messages? and themes coming out of these events and workshops. Um, and then once we have decided on those messages and themes, that gets that's what gets presented to the artists. And then they're able to have creative license um, to go and do per their interaction in these events and the data that we collect. Um, and then by the fall, uh, we is when installation happens usually we install uh the beginning of october um and the reveal is all so far the reveal has been happening um during october because of mural of arts month um so we try to have it towards the end just to kind of you know give get people involved um especially with the uh reveal where we're still on the ground so we do a lot of the installation work too <laughs> we're doing everything mm -hmm. um and I think I think this time around it is a little different because we do have interns. Uh, we are working with the Greater Philadelphia Cultural Alliance, Bloomberg Art Arts. Internship. Yes, our internship. Um, so we do have interns helping us out this time, and we wanted to make this more engaging for the youth. So we are trying to find better ways to have students, because we are teachers, engage and come out. Um, because this is happening right at the start of the school year. So that'd be a cool, cool thing too. So it's, it's, it's different every time. It's different every time, but we are definitely in our community engagement stages. 
Period. Um, as far as location, does location also get you know asked about from residents, or do y'all have like somewhere in mind already? Um, so this time around, like last year, because since we have some roots in West Philly, we were kind of like, oh, like we know Malcolm X Park is, we know 52nd, you know, we kind of had our sections, but this time around, we are asking, um, community folks to tell us where they'd like to see the signs and we're going to try our best. Um, we like, we got some really great feedback already from Steve from Ubuntu about like where he was saying like there's definitely a need, but, um, that's a question I got asked a lot on Sunday about like, well, where are the signs going to go? I was like, well where would you like to see the sides? Mm-hmm. And so like, like, you know, then like, you know, you see the faces brighten up, like super excited about that. So. Yeah. This is an amazing example of crowdsourcing information for these projects. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm really happy to hear that. Yeah. There are definitely a few places. Holla at me offline, Joe. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so do you have any artists from the neighborhood helping on this thus far or anything of the sort? Yeah. So we, so this year, amongst the list of things, the new things that are happening, we had our first open call, which was very overwhelming in all the great ways because we were getting people that like, like we were looking at folks' Instagram, like, what? You worked on what? And you want to do our project? Right. That was cool. Um, <laughs> so it was a very hard decision to make, but we're working with Nomad um, and Kita Rich. Nomad, we know, is a German town, like born, bred, and raised. Um, and it's very interesting because this is also our first time working with an anonymous artist. So it's really cool to see and feel those interactions. Um, Kita Rich is a mural of arts, uh, black mural of arts fellow, um, focused in, I believe, uh, landscape architectural design. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of Kita's work uh, is collage. So to see the juxtaposition between the collage work and the street art is really cool um, because both artists have a different lens of which they are creating, but their missions are the same. Um, and that's the one thing with our open call, we were trying to be very intentional with our questioning and we were asking folks to tell us like why they wanted to be a part of this project. Um, and yeah, we heard a lot about Nomad, but to see that his work is, his work is like protect black spaces, like very anti-gentrification, He's all about uh, working to preserve the integrity of Black spaces, which is right in line with our mission. Um, Kita is all about creating and expanding spaces for Black people, um, especially in a time that seems to never end, where you know colonization of neighborhoods happens always. Um, so it's really cool to see two folks that have different artistic lens, but in line their missions together so gracefully with ours, because you know, like we were. I, I like to think that me and Kristen are like intuitive people. So when we were reading these responses and looking at Instagrams, we felt something with the two of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the interactions that we've had so far, it's a very like loving, uh, caring uh, interaction. And I think space that we're cre- creating that makes this project more and more intentional every time. I really love that. Um, I have no doubt that those two artists specifically, I'm familiar, of course, with their work. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we only have a little bit of time left. So with all of the work that y'all have already put into this and all the work that y'all have already planned, how do y'all feel right now about this particular installment of the project? Hopeful, optimistic, excited. I want to hear the things. We are very excited. When we went to Germantown, like the, the interactions that we've had, it was just a different, it was just such a refreshing energy. 
what makes this special is we don't know anything about Germantown and people are willing to teach us. And I think that's the thing that makes it so special that they're not gatekeeping information. And in order to make this project, I guess, the most fulfilling, they want us to know like this, this is the history of Germantown that you need to know this. These are the things that should be um, highlighted in this project and why. And we love that. And yeah, I, I, Germantown is a level up. Like we, we, we looked at the, the things that are happening there and the people that are there and the investment. But yes, we're very excited. We're very excited. And so, yeah, so for folks who are interested, Affirmation Avenue will host an information session tomorrow on August 11th from 4.45 to 5.45 p.m. at Mbuntu Fine Arts at 5423 Germantown Avenue, right in the heart of the Germantown Arts District. Um, Kristen and Brittany, thank you so much, of course, for sharing your processes around Affirmation Avenue and, of course, just background and things of that nature. And I'm sure I can speak for our neighbors when I say that we are really all looking forward to this magic that y'all are going to bring to the neighborhood in a collaborative way. So we do hope that you will stay in touch and we're going to be wishing you the best. And we'll be, of course, looking out. Thank, thank you so, you so much. much. Yeah. Appreciate it. Thank you. Well, Germantown, it is about that time. If you want to share story ideas or information with the Germantown Info Hub, please email gtown.infohub at gmail.com. And you can also keep up with us on social media at Gtown Info Hub on Twitter and Instagram and Germantown Info Hub on Facebook. Additionally, you can read our stories at germantowninfohub.org. And we encourage listeners to text the Equally Informed Philly text line, which is another program under Resolve Philly. It allows Philadelphians to access information regarding Philadelphia services. The Equal Info line is a free bilingual English and Spanish question and answer texting service that provides subscribers with vetted local news and resources. To ask questions, text Equal Info, which is two words, to 215-910-4040, or type in joinsubtext.com slash equalinfo215 on your web browser. Equally Informed also supplies a community-driven print newsletter that's available at health centers and libraries all over the city. And that is about it. Once again, I'm Rashida Jamu, the reporter for the Info Hub. And I'm Maleka Fruin. Thank you to our guests for speaking with us today for today's show. And as always, thank you to our neighbors for always listening and engaging and allowing the Info Hub to serve you. And until next time, good night, Germantown. Good night, Germantown.